0: Welcome to VCR, a vintage cinema rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. I'm Blake. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael. And welcome to part two, our deep dive into Castle in the Sky, one of Studio Ghibli's first ever films.
1: That's right. Nani?
2: <laughs> Jason, you could do that three more times before it gets old. <laughs> okay. This is the first time I've, I think I've like heard that, um, not as like a meme before, but like as part of the actual movie. Like sincerely. Yeah, and it means, it just means what?
1: <laughs> That's pretty cool. I want to watch the Japanese version now. Very good.
0: So let's start with our in front of the camera discussion, talking about plot and spoilers and everything else. And if you haven't seen this film, I think we all really enjoyed it. And I would recommend going and checking out the first part, of our primer episode, before we really dive deep into spoilers here so that we don't ruin anything from this film for you
2: did we say that it's castle in the sky yet
0: yeah i think i said castle in the sky right off the bat
2: oh perfect <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: i'm pretty yep. sure i mean it'll either be here or it'll be uh earlier in the episode so
1: or it'll be in the title so <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> <laughs> pick up your phone look at what you're watching and just make sure we're not spoiling make it.
0: decisions about what you're listening to <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> you know it's funny, um, I think Ghibli's next film was Howl's Moving Castle, and it's also on Netflix, and my roommate saw it, and he was like, what is with this guy in castles? <laughs>
2: <laughs> They're great settings, especially the way he like they created these, like the moving castle and the castle in the sky. They're just such fun concepts. Yeah, definitely.
0: So to kind of open our discussion of the film, to get back into it, Let's talk the opener of the film and, and a, there's the opener and B, the credits because they're two very thing, distinct things that jump out my mind. Like the opener of this film is the pirates landing on the ship and just chaos ensuing. And it really just we dive into the the plot like it's like the opener of The Dark Knight Rises essentially.
2: That's exactly yeah, what kinda. I was gonna mention. Like it felt like they were the Joker, and um, it was just like hitting you over the head with this excitement right off the bat. Like when Sheeta turned to Muska and said,
0: "Perhaps
1: wondering <laughs> why you shoot a man, then throw exactly. him out the plane, and then she falls out the plane."
0: <laughs> <laughs> something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and so like it really we really just dive into the action right off the bat, which is really cool. I will say I was a little bit bewildered because I wasn't necessarily prepared for the world and what was going on. I
2: felt the same Yeah.
1: I do have one actual complaint about the opening scene in retrospect. So Sheeta is being held captive by Colonel Muska. We don't really know he's the bad guy at this point, we just we kind of get the impression that he's her bodyguard. And then while he's rummaging around a suitcase or something, she grabs a wine bottle, beans him over the head, and escapes. And as cool as that is, it makes us like Sheeta a lot. I do think a little girl knocking out our main villain in the first five minutes kind of makes him lose a bit of his villain cred.
0: I was also slightly just confused by by it to be, if I'm being completely honest, like I, I didn't know who these characters were yet. And like you said, I kind of th- was under the assumption that they were together and they were, but it was under duress as we find out later.
1: Yeah, i just, I think they could have easily just, instead of Muska, it could have just been like some, ra- like one of his henchmen. I just think showing the main villain getting one-upped that quickly in the movie kind of makes him lose some of his menace later.
2: Yeah, they didn't really like lead in with like a Darth Vader moment where he's yeah. uh like coming in later. We'd already seen him, but we didn't know who he was and the reveal was pretty good. Like, well, we, even when we see him next, we don't really know who he is. We just assume like government CIA guy and then eventually it gets revealed.
1: And I did really kind of appreciate how we kind of start off thinking the Sky Pirates are the bad guys, yeah. but they pretty quickly turn out to be on the hero side or at least you know the lesser of two evils
0: yes the lesser of two evils here or at least you know grudging allies yeah i i agree and it's it's really cool because it adds a little bit more depth to the movie right like this is a movie that that's full of depth but that extra piece of like who we think is the bad guys are actually maybe not quite all that bad yeah um, yeah they're treasure hunters essentially But they have some morals, whereas the government and Muska don't have any morals, it seems like.
1: Have you seen that meme that's been going around where it's a a screenshot of a children's book from Disney where it shows little kids dressed as pirates and the text is something like, being a pirate means never (laughs) taking anything that doesn't belong to you. And the meme is something like, I don't think Disney knows what a pirate is. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of the vibe I got from these guys. It's like, we hear they're pirates, but we don't really see them causing much trouble. Except for property damage.
2: That property damage, they were just destroying track for like a good 10 minutes. That Probably would take that mining village like years to recover from, and now they can't get food into their village. That's a good point. They didn't point. give a shit who they were, um, who they were hurting by proxy there. So like they're super out for themselves in the beginning, and it's like they are they act very villainous. But then once we get to know them, they take care of their own. And so if you if you're good with them, the yeah. way uh, Pazu and Shida eventually like become friends with them they like it's a respect thing i think they respected how badass these kids
0: it's a welcome to the family yeah yeah exactly yeah.
2: so <laughs> yeah, that yeah, yeah. Uh, that was
0: really fun can we
1: talk about that uh and maybe that's the operative point is that they're fun like they're funny like can we talk about how funny that scene is at the beginning where they have the flexing contest where they all break their shirts yeah that was so funny
0: yes that was laugh out loud funny like jess and i were both laughing together watching that scene
1: and even just the idea of like this old lady pirate and all her like immature adult sons
0: like yeah it's pretty funny and that's where some of, like, the childishness comes in, that even as an adult, you're going to enjoy. And slightly because it's almost, like, outlandish to a Western audience in a, in a way, right? Like, it's not something that we typically see in a Disney film. It's
2: It was interesting to see that in one of these, like, we've all seen... Um some kind of anime where the main character like hulks out of their shirt. But like, I didn't expect that for, in a studio Ghibli film. And it just shows like how rooted in um, like tradition that kind of is within anime.
0: Well, and how maybe this is a pioneer in that, in a sense as well. Right. Like that, like this came before shows like Dragon Ball Z and, and other famous
1: I don't, I don't think Goku ever flexed out of his shirt.
0: There's no way but, that Goku didn't flex out of his shirt. No, but, no, but the, the deal, deal is,
1: is, if he, he takes his shirt off, that's, that's a sign that he's he getting serious.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. He just, like, puts it off, like, folds it... Yeah. ...for later. Pretty much. Okay. <laughs> Can we also talk about the credits? The opening credits of this film are magical. They, in a sense, kind of explain the s- the history and the legend of Laputa and how humans began living in the sky and in these sky kingdoms and how eventually something happened to make them all return to earth and I I really loved that little bit of lore and obviously it's the opening credits there's no dialogue there's no There's no, like, Star Wars, like, opening.
1: Yeah, like, lead-in
0: kind of thing. And with none of that, this film really, really builds a lot of lore just with the imagery in the first, like, two minutes.
1: It's also got that kind of, like, storybook woodcutter vibe. Like, it really kind of grounds you in that, like, fairy tale mentality
2: almost. Yeah, and especially, like, the... Amsel in distress falling from the sky and then floating and she has some magical stone. Like I, I enjoyed that opening sequence quite a bit. It was pretty good.
1: I got something to talk about. So like I said, this is my first Ghibli movie, but I did kind of look into the production process, uh, just, you know, to find out more about how they work. And did you know that Hayao Miyazaki, doesn't work with traditional screenplays It's almost kind of similar To what uh, Gendy Tarakovsky did with Samurai Jack In that there's no official Screenplay but it's just They kind of see where the Story goes As they create the Storyboards
0: so they're like the Stephen King yeah,
1: yeah 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 I was gonna make that Comparison <laughs>
0: But they can stick a landing more frequently.
1: More frequently, I guess. I mean, I'm sure there was probably multiple rounds of edits or whatever, but Mm -hmm. yeah, it's all storyboards. It's all hand-drawn. There's a little bit of computer animation just in certain places, but it's all hand-drawn. And apparently Miyazaki, the mad lad, he oversees every single frame
2: wow
0: yeah he just he is relentless that's really impressive and and as a kid of the 90s and growing up where like this type of animation style was like really the central focus of my animation viewing like I I have a lot of nostalgia for this kind of experience.
1: Nostalgia is a good word for it, because like I said, this was my first Studio Ghibli movie, but it was making meme nostalgic, like just for, I don't know, simpler times or childhood or innocence or something like
2: that. To me, it also felt like really elevated compared to all of those other, like anything I saw in my childhood, how they created such like mystical scenes. I still don't know how they did it. Like how did they paint it that well and like animate it? I don't fully understand because it's so amazing. Like it, like the depth, the colors yeah. and like how especially so after Pazu wakes up and he's like doing his little trumpet thing, um like the <laughs> the clouds and the birds going through them, like that was amazing setting up his like village and like the world on the ground that way was like, it really transports you.
1: There is something very, like just in the way, like we've been talking about the world a lot, but I like to focus a little bit on the character designs. Like these are some of the most expressive, striking characters I'd ever seen in an animation. Even just like when Pazu is talking about how he's gonna find the castle in the sky, and he's just flexing. Like, he's he's just standing there flexing. Like,
0: yeah, it's a really heartfelt moment too, right? Yeah. Because like he's talking about his father and, and what his father saw in the sky all those years ago, and that really cool picture. And then we get that background story of of all of that. Like, it's it's all these little details that kind of add up to make something really special here, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Actually, the dynamic between Pazu and Shida is surprisingly heartwarming. Like, I know that they're, like, I don't know, 13 or 14 or something, but, like,
2: I don't know. They're just two little orphans who their, like, stories are intertwined, and, like, Pazu was kind of always... You could tell he was, like, dreaming of something like this, like, something to set him off on this huge adventure to Laputa. And then um, this girl just magically falls from the sky. Yeah. And just floats down. Like, he was, he, like, you could, that, I think that's where all of his excitement came from. Like, he'd been holding that in all the time because he has to work, but he's, like, he had this dream
0: And actually, on on that note, I actually want to quickly mention here that this is the first time that, uh, and since we're in spoilers, that the Japanese versus English versions, we actually somewhat watched different movies in that sense. Because the version that Mike and I watched, the English dub, the voices and the the age that they were trying to capture with their voice work of Pakzu and... Shida w- was actually like teenagers, whereas what Jason was watching was preteens and and younger voice voicing and voice acting, so that almost kind of makes their dynamic and their relationship and and kind of who they are as people very different. And as somebody who was watching the English dub. There were times where it almost conflicted to me because they were talking in a much more childish tone. But I was like, I think that they're yeah. trying to go for a little bit older kids than than what they're portraying here and their voices.
1: Well, should we bring up the awkward elephant in the room? What's that? The scene where all the yeah. male yeah, sky they... pirates hit on Cheetah. <laughs> <Shida. laughs> like...
2: I was like, oh, what's going on here? It might have been extra shocking for me then because of the her, like how young she's been portrayed this whole time. Right. She, yeah. Like, I, I felt that, like, it was very strange because I was like, this girl's like 11. 12? Yeah.
0: 11. Yeah. 10 or 11. Yeah, and, yeah. like,
2: those guys were all men. And, like, I was like, at least one of them brought a flower, but, like, that's still manipulative. <laughs>
1: In the, in the English dub, he just walks in with the flower and says, I love you. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> that it. was never
2: written into the version I watched. It was like none of them had that proclamation of love. Oh, really? Yeah, just I brought you a flower.
0: That's definitely one part of this movie that probably doesn't hold up in today's climate. And yeah. it, it was almost comical because of how overdone it was in a sense. But yeah, it doesn't take long to to point the flaws in that if you look a little deeper at that.
1: <laughs> but uh, yeah, I kind of lived without that. Also, yeah, that was kind of a thing was for the first bit of this movie. I was like, how old is Pazu? Like, he's got his own home, but like, he's clearly working at the mines and then in that opening scene where he trumpets, and I'm like, is that his job? Like, is he the
0: town crier? <laughs> like, I'm gonna. So I'm gonna fill. You know what? I'm gonna fill in a little bit of uh, plot for you here. This is like late 1800s. There was oh, yeah. kids working in the mines then. So. Yeah, definitely. So you know what? You were 14. <laughs> you had a wife and three kids at that point. <laughs> yeah,
1: probably scurvy, HPV. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It was kind of funny that scene where the mine captain confronts the pirates and he's like making a big stance and Patsu's standing next to him and he's like only up to his hip but he's trying to like make himself look
0: imposing and then the miner's wife just grabs him and pulls him inside (laughs) I for some reason I thought of like Popeye there or something like that 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 came to my mind
2: yeah 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 I've seen some I've seen some like references to that as well Um, like online people commented very similar yeah
0: was there was there ever a scene or moment in the film that like got you really excited or or like you really got swept up with what was happening or made you really feel really emotionally excited?
1: If we're talking about sheer emotion, I think the most heartwarming scene is when Pazu and Sheeta are like keeping watch together and they're sharing a blanket and uh, Dola, the pirate captain is like listening in into everything and they're Talking about what they're gonna do, and yeah, yeah. I don't know. Something about that moment was really touching to me.
2: Yeah, like she was just listening like a grandmother, and like she's like rooting for these g- kids, and like really starting to <laughs> yeah. um fall yeah, for them. Yeah,
1: yeah she's like, uh, he's, and then I think just the like other her sons, the sons are watching too. Yeah.
0: For me, like, one of the emotional highs of the film was actually when Paco takes flight with the pirates for the first time. There's, like, this, like, general excitement because I feel, like, I feel his excitement in being able to fly for the very first time, and he's going to save Sheeta. And, uh, like, I, uh, that was really, like, an emotional high for me. You
2: mean Pazu, right?
0: Yeah, did I say, who did I say? Paco. Pazu and Dola?
1: You said Corleone. Oh,
0: Pazu. <laughs> See, in English um, it almost sounded like Pazu like there was almost like sea a, a in there oh really i don't know maybe that was just my half deaf ear just hearing that
1: i did really appreciate the reveal that dola is actually i just assumed her husband was going to be long dead but it turns out he's alive and he's dr robotnik from the sonic <laughs> movies <laughs> yeah.
2: i was gonna say like he like he just looks so classic with that mustache like a bald grandpa with a mustache there had to be one
0: and i love how he's just like the guy tinkering on the ship kind of thing whereas dola is like the captain of the ship the clear captain of the ship
1: i also like how uh when one of the sons is like bringing Pazu to the workshop he's like but he's like don't keep him waiting dad's even worse than mom yeah.
2: but he's so nice
1: the whole movie yeah. <laughs> like, uh... He never, I don't think he raises his voice at all. just
2: to bring back to, like, how badass um, Dola is, when they're running through uh, one of the mines after, like, blowing up a bunch of the bridges, she just outstrips all of her sons just bolting because she's so excited that she's, like, going to get them first. Great dynamics Mm -hmm. between them all.
1: That was pretty cool. I also loved that scene at the end when they're all, like, Hovering there, yeah. and they'll just whip out all the treasure they stole. <laughs> yes, that was
0: that was yeah. a like a, a fist pound moment kind of thing. Like it was like yeah, 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 like the heroes won. It felt that was a really satisfying conclusion to the film.
2: The part that I loved the most, I think, was them landing on um, Laputa, and in like the Japanese version, I don't know about yours, but like it was silent. Like the awe was just yes. really, really. you could feel it. It was like thick in the air. Like they were just so in awe of this place and you felt it just sitting there. Like you wanted, you were holding your breath just with your mouth open. I don't know. That was awesome. That reveal. I felt that as
0: well. Like, because we've landed on a foreign world, essentially like this is, this is a world that humans haven't touched for hundreds of years and it's futuristic, but it's also completely decrepit at this point.
1: Actually, if we're talking most moving moments, I might actually mm-hmm. withdraw what I just said. I think the reveal that that robot is just living in perfect harmony with nature, like he lifts he lifts the little air scooter off the nest, and he's like got all these animals just crawling all over him. It was surprisingly kind of a beautiful moment. Yeah,
2: and he was bringing the flowers to the, the memorial.
0: Yeah, this film is full of quiet poignant moments throughout like there's there's so many that we could probably bring up here and and it's those quiet moments that make this film I think really pop in a sense like like you mentioned earlier that quiet moment that they have in the mines with the lights and everything like there's so many wow moments in this film yeah I want to talk the twist a little bit so so we find out like as the story kind of moves along that Sheeta is actually a Laputa hair mm-hmm. to the world of Laputa, the Sky and the Castle. That's something that kind of, it feels like we're, we're building towards that just as a modern audience and having seen all of the films and everything else that we've watched. The reveal that Muska is also a Laputa really shocked me. It came out of left field. Like, really? was there ever, I guess there was one moment when I realized it at what point did you guys realize that that might be where the story is heading?
2: For me, it was as soon as he pulled out that notebook. That like while he was searching for like the the hidden wall entrance, I started to question why is he so knowledgeable? Where is he getting this knowledge from? If her family is all mm. gone and she has like supposedly all the knowledge of this place, and he needs her. Like, why, Like all he needed was the stone, so why did he keep going back for her? But then you kind of realize he was fine without her, and it was still shining, like, that um, beam of light towards the island in the sky, or castle.
1: Yeah, I, I don't really remember, to be honest, but... Yeah, he was pretty clearly the main villain
2: the whole time. Like... But what was his purpose earlier on? We didn't think his purpose was to, like, become the king. I thought he was just winning it for the government or for, like, the CIA portion of the government.
0: I think in the beginning, when he's kind of not necessarily the focal villain, he almost feels like the cop in The Iron Giant or the the CIA agent in The Iron Giant. I can't remember his name right now, where you almost disregard him. And that's slightly because of, like, you know, the, the bottle over the head kind of thing but he becomes more and more of a threat as the film goes on and for me it was the moment when he said only royals are allowed in the throne room that I went oh he's one of he's one of the Laputas. that's when i realized it
1: the scene when he turned on the general and had all the soldiers murdered that was a uh, that was pretty fucking cold
2: the scene after the all the general's men fall um Pazu is just climbing on the vines on the underside of the like this floating castle. It portrayed like the the height so well. I was actually so scared for him and like mm-hmm. anybody who is like afraid of heights, I'm not mm-hmm. at all, but like you'd you know at that moment that like you would feel that.
1: That's what I mean. It's a good thing Pazu is like a determined rock climber because he's got like all that finger strength. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but yeah. The only other thing that I want to comment on story related is I thought the city was going to sink into the ocean and everyone was going to lose it, but it's way cooler than that. Friggin' the whole city of Laputa shoots into space and we end in the <laughs> end in credits with it floating around the earth. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah, really because you would be able to see that from space as well right like that would be something that would go by every day and you'd be like oh there goes the pewter
2: and it was just left with that uh one robot up there just caring for all the plants it's back to its natural state so what happened it used to be like that probably and then they built on this whole weapon which was an intense weapon the way he actually used it that was awesome too Oh yeah! But, Yeah, seeing it up there at the end, like I, I was like, they should have taken, like, they should have stayed there. Then it was, it was nice to see them just like say bye to the pirates and then head off to Genoa or wherever her, uh, where wherever she was from.
0: It almost sounded like Gondor. Uh, yeah, in English. I was getting that it, too. It was Gondor. like gondola or something like that in yeah. in English.
1: Cheetah, who else are you? What else are you the princess of? <laughs> uh, yeah. If I have one, a second minor complaint, it's that I would have liked more of an explanation for why Shida's family left the city. There's kind of a line about how they wanted to live closer to nature, but they didn't really go much more into it, which I get it, but still, it kind of makes you wonder, maybe I almost would have liked more history of this city
0: yeah, this film definitely leaves you wanting more. Like, I want to live in this world for a lot longer. Like, And that's something that I don't think Studio Ghibli has ever done is is had a sequel to any of their films. But if they ever wanted to just explore one of their worlds, this is the one that I would come back to in a heartbeat.
2: They do have another one that is that sort of takes place in this world like a few thousand years apart, apparently. It's called, like, Nasica or something like that. Oh. The first
0: film. The, not the it this is the first official studio Ghibli, and that one happens before this one.
2: okay, and yeah, apparently it does, yeah, it does take part in the same world, but like completely huh. different stories. I also loved I, I don't know if it was cut in your version or not, but the fact that this weapon was used as in the Old Testament, and to sink Atlantis, Mm -hmm. and um, this has been going on for so long. I think the concept of why the family left was that when you're that far up there, and you're looking down at what, like, these mortals are trying to do, it gets to your head. You're too up in the clouds to really, like, have a connection there. So they built this crazy thing, and then they realized, like, we're not really human up here. We have to go back to the Earth to... Be human, I guess.
0: Yeah, and connect, reconnect with nature as well.
2: Apparently that's
1: a big Ghibli thing, connecting with nature. Apparently that's one of their big recurring themes.
0: Yeah, and that's definitely present in this film as well.
1: Also, apparently, just from what I read, Muska is kind of an outlier among Ghibli villains. I guess Ghibli villains tend to be kind of sympathetic and understandable. But I guess Muska is their one, like, pure evil dirtbag villain.
0: Yeah, I mean, my limited experience of Studio Ghibli would definitely concur with that.
1: Yeah, and they got Mark Hamill to voice him, so it was a good choice.
2: (laughs) I really want to hear that. I'm going to have to look at some, like, clips after or something. Are you guys going to return to this film at all? I want to show it to people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind
0: of of the same opinion. I genuinely really enjoyed this. I know when I was talking to my parents last weekend and they were asking what our next film was going to be, I said this, and it's an animated. And they were like, ah, we're not going to check that out probably. And I was, and after watching it, I'm like, this is a good movie. This is a pretty good movie. Do you
1: think your parents would like it?
0: Uh, I think my mom could get enveloped in the world. I don't know if my dad would necessarily. Although, what I will say is I also was kind of thinking of dune as well when i was th- watching this film really yeah and how Sheeta is is kind of like the chosen one
2: you could say that about any like main character of a big world
1: yeah yeah, yeah this is a bit of a stretch i do don't you remember know what uh do you remember when muska came into the room with the box and she said what's in the box and he said fear
0: <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I'm, I'm coming off of working a lot of hours right now, and I don't remember my exact thought process or when I had that thought process, so maybe maybe we'll just move past this. Hey, as long as we're talking about
1: Cheetah, there is one moment in this movie that made me laugh unintentionally. It's at the end when uh, Musco's holding her at gunpoint, and he shoots her pigtails off.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that
1: was... No, and what's better is when I think she, like, when Dola and the Pirates rescue her, Dola looks at her hair, and she's like, oh, did he shoot your pigtails off? I hate when that happens. <laughs> I was like, wait, this happens?
0: <laughs> like- it was almost like a, you know what? I think there's some Western influence in that, though. Like, uh, like you know, the, the shooting of, of somebody sure. around somebody kind of thing. Like, I, I felt the Western Influence there.
2: It was show, to show his like expertise, I guess. Yes. Um, yeah. In the Japanese version, she is like much more sympathetic about the. Well, she didn't say like I hate when that happens, but um, she was like that's like a really bad way to get a haircut. <laughs> and like <laughs> consoling her nicely, yeah.
1: That's fair, and I get that. Like shooting her pigtails off is meant to show that, like, you know, she's matured a little bit like there's some symbolism there but it was just it was just pretty ridiculous.
0: <laughs> All right, shall we move into effects and filming? Sure. To open this up, I actually have a question for you guys. And my question is, do you think this works better as an animated film, the story and the world, than a live action film in 2023? And yeah. in 198 in 1982 as well.
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: Or 86. What's your optimal experience with a story and a world like this?
2: I think it'll be a great live action in like 2086 because I don't think we can actually do it. Like, we would need they would need the biggest budget to do any justice to the like the painting and like like the the style, the feel of the film. I don't think we could do that with like all of the um cgi and everything that we have now but it would be cool to see
0: for me where i kind of land is this fits really well as an animated film because they can spend that extra time to build the world and and not rely on the crutch of cgi right because bad cgi can really sink a film even if the story is wonderful
2: yeah yeah i would leave it for now as a um Animated, like it's too crazy of a world. Yeah, yeah.
0: And and so here's the tragedy to that. Then is that people who don't watch animes are gonna aren't gonna miss out on a story like this, and experiencing.
1: I don't know. I feel like even people who don't watch anime might watch a Ghibli movie. I just think the prestige is so high for that studio.
2: Yeah, and enough enough people have seen some studio Ghibli that um, and like the Western world doesn't necessarily have to watch them. Like it's getting all of the recognition. Like it, it's a classic, like this movie specifically is a classic in everyone's minds that has seen it. So it's got the recognition. It, it made a lot in, um on its release and
0: in Japan. Yeah.
1: I think it was the highest grossing Japanese film at the time. And then I think Spirited Away just blew everything out of the water.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Spirited Away is like one of those landmark films in in Japanese culture, Mm -hmm. for sure.
1: By the way, did you guys know that um, Miyazaki is coming out with his final film this June?
0: Oh, that's
2: amazing. No!
1: He went into retirement in 2014, and then he came out of retirement in 2017 in order to work on this final movie, and it's called... How do you live? Apparently based on a book. It's coming out this June.
0: Cool. That's exciting. It is really exciting. Yeah, that's very exciting. I'll definitely watch that. Yeah, let's go see it together. Yeah, I'm down. That'd be cool. We were talking about how uh, we need to go see John Wick 4 together. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Really excited about that film. You did mention in our first episode how this film takes some of the lore of Laputa from Gulliver's Travels and one kind of small note that I wanted to say here is Laputa is actually a Spanish word and the translation for that is the whore. the whore and that's something that Miyazaki didn't know about when he used Laputa it was it was just the inspiration from Gulliver's Travels whoops and kind of the story behind that is Jonathan Swift is actually considered the inventor of black comedy mm. And so he would have known at that time, because he actually knew some Spanish, uh, (laughs) what the uh, word would have meant. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I really didn't
1: envy the guy who had to tell Miyazaki that after the movie came out. They probably just got some poor intern to tell him.
0: Well, and that's why in the Japanese version, the film is called the Puta, Castle in the Sky, whereas in for Western audiences, we just have Castle in the Sky.
2: Yeah. We also changed the spelling of Shida's name from Shida to Shita.
0: And the pronunciation oh, really? of it as well. Because it, it was Shida in, uh, when you were listening to it, was it, Jason? No,
2: I, I, it was like Shita or something like that. Oh, but, okay. Um, Shita! Yeah, but they just, like, while I was watching it, it kept saying Shida. And so they changed it to be spelled with E's instead.
0: There's actually some other historical aspects that uh, Miyazaki used to, to base the film off of. Like, all of the mechanical and weaponry Throughout the film is actually based on some British and German designs, uh, specifically from World War II, which is really cool.
2: Yeah, I, I really liked that. It felt fitting for the like time period that they kind of were in, and it like worked well with the steampunk right. aspect.
0: Some of the other influences of the film that we I might want to talk about quickly. At one point, like Wizard of Oz kind of popped into my head and there's definitely some Wizard of Oz kind of vibes to this, especially with Sheeta falling from the sky and and kind of entering this world. Indiana Jones, there's obviously got to be a connection there. Miyazaki was definitely inspired by the Indiana Jones series when making this. But in terms of influences, obviously, like the Bible and Atlantis influenced this film but it's really cool because it kind of comes full circle in the sense that the Disney Atlantis is heavily inspired by this. Oh yeah. I could see that. The last kind of inspiration that I was reading about online is there's a 1972 sci-fi film called Silent Running. And the end of this film is actually an homage to that film, which is really cool. And I'm always like, I'm a big buff of old sci-fi films, and so I, that was something that I instantly added to my list to watch is is Silent Running.
2: That sounds like it, it would be really good if it's based on... Do you know like what it's based on specifically?
0: I think the film is about an astronaut who's sent into space to destroy a greenhouse or something like that. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I checked that out. Yeah, it's not necessarily super highly rated, but like I said, I really like crummy cool but cool sci-fi ideas in this from the 70s and 80s when you think
2: about things from a modern perspective it's pretty insane that they were like thinking of these concepts back then
0: yeah they're almost like novel concepts at this point right
2: there's almost like no precedence yeah yeah like they they had um like some writers that were doing, uh, like, a lot of sci-fi and stuff, but to portray it like this and, like, pull those things together, it really was, like, the beginning, kind of.
0: I mean, like, 2001 A Space Odyssey came out almost 60 years ago, and it's one of the greatest sci-fi films of all time. And even the original Star Trek films, right? Like, think about how much from Star Trek is actually used now today. Like, cell phones... We're essentially in Star Trek, the original Star Trek series. And stuff like that. Like
2: And we still don't have some of the tech that they have and that they thought up. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I want my phaser. Well, it's almost like, you know, humans dream about the future. And then because of those dreams, we want to make those dreams reality. And so we're almost like working towards trying to build that. Like that's why everybody's always trying to build a lightsaber, right? Like a working lightsaber. Because <laughs> without Star Wars, like who would have thought to build like
1: yeah. Hopefully, we get lightsabers in our lifetime. Uh, that's how I want to die. <laughs> talk about
0: hopefully, but. <laughs> <laughs> lightsaber Death combat. By lightsaber. Okay, so let's talk score. And this is where I think the, the real discussion of the English dub versus the subtitles is really going to come into play here. And so, Jason, you watched this with Japanese voice acting and English subtitles, whereas we watched it with the English dub. Do you want to talk about the score that you you had in your version of the film?
2: Yeah, um, so I am curious, actually, which version of the dub that you got, like that is on Netflix, because there is actually an updated one and an older one. So the updated one, they actually reverted back to some of the um, the original score. Oh, really? Or, yeah, so I don't know which one is on there. If it's, like, the 2003 version, or the, I think there's a 2011 version where they I think added some of the, like, it was very synth-heavy.
1: I think Blake and I watched the 2003 version. Okay.
0: Yes. So what I'll say is that uh, it is actually online. Like, you can read about that. And so Netflix, the Japanese version that you watch, Jason, uses the original audio mix and score. Whereas the English version that we watched on Netflix uses that updated audio mix and score. And the reason behind why they created a whole new score for this film for English audiences is because they didn't think that the Japanese traditional score would have the same effect and, and draw in an English audience like this new updated score was. And Jason, having watched the Japanese version, like, what what's your view of it? Like, should we check out the Japanese subtitle version?
2: I would say yes because the sound effects of that synth just like it feels a lot more cyberpunk. So I think it it lends mm-hmm. more to that cyberpunk feeling. And was there kind of like a a
0: Tangerine Dream kind of style to it, almost like Thief or something? Or yeah, yeah,
2: like. It had a lot of that, but it was a little bit, like, bombastic as well. Like, it was a little over the top, and that's where watching it, like, if I was watching it as a Japanese speaker, um, it might have been too much, but as I was just reading subtitles, like, it didn't interfere too much, but it gave, like, it it feels more like it's post-apocalyptic, like, setting. Oh, okay. And, um... Yeah and then like the use of silence, I don't know how if there is any difference there but the use of silence plus this like over the top like hard um synths and then like all the layers in between was just perfect. I I want to listen or I want to hear what the differences really are.
0: Yeah, I I'm really excited to listen to the Japanese version at some point as well because honestly this is one of the best scores that I've heard in a film in a long time. Like, obviously, we've watched some really great films this year with Train Spotting and The Godfather.
1: I forgot about Train Spotting.
0: Yeah, and, and those are really iconic film scores. But they're, those films are also known for their iconic film scores. Whereas this might be slightly underrated in terms of top film scores of all time at this point in time.
2: People who are big fans of the movie like download and listen to and like buy the soundtracks i don't know which one but i do want to just add on like the best comparison would be uh, blade runner 2049 with really yeah the atmosphere of it like it's 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 like an old version of that new sound and the atmosphere is what i think is going to be the main difference
0: i was definitely going to return to this film at some point because I really did fall in love with the film but you've really, really sold me on needing to watch the Japanese version now as well and seeing how did, how it changes the film essentially like how often do we get the opportunity to watch a film that has completely different scores and see really how the music impacts our emotional attachment with a film right that doesn't happen very often yeah,
2: yeah I hmm i think that might be like a thing of the future where like with ai you'll be able to say like i want to watch titanic but with blade runner vibes and then like ai will just create it for you and it'll be like really (laughs) awesome but we're not there yet (laughs) yeah
0: that would be something i would have john carpenter (laughs) audio in every one of my movies (laughs) or tangerine dream The actual composer, Jason, I wanted to mention for your version, was Joe Hizashi, who composed this film and then went on to compose essentially every one of the Studio Ghibli films. He became a really close collaborator with uh, Miyazaki. So if you've seen any other Studio Ghibli film and the score was something that you noticed and really appreciated then you're also going to probably really enjoy the score of this especially because it's like very early on in their development right like this is like a first attempt at it like this is you know oftentimes an artist's earlier works are some of their best and so i imagine that's ranks up there with tops have his scores of all time
2: yeah i think um in comparison to the other two that I've watched he kept some of this one but this one is a, l- a little bit more experimental so sequels prequels and reboots
0: do you guys want to discuss uh studio ghibli's filmography at all and and kind of where this fits into the filmography do you think we've done that enough at this point or I think
1: we've kind of touched on that already. Like we mentioned before, this is the first official Ghibli movie. Um, Nausicaä and the Valley of the Wind precedes this. I think um, Princess Mononoke precedes this too. I could be wrong.
0: No, no, this is the f- first one. Like it's it's the wind movie that you mentioned and then it's this one.
1: Right. So Nausicaä and the Valley of the Wind was the first big collaboration between the founders And then they founded Ghibli after the success of it. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think, like I mentioned before, I'm not a huge Ghibli fan, but it is kind of interesting looking at this movie and seeing how it tees up a lot of the big themes that Miyazaki would explore throughout the rest of his career, you know, like technology versus nature, violence versus pacifism you know a young female protagonist like this movie is a ghibli through and through
2: yeah i would say um it's funny that it goes nausicaa in the valley of the wind then castle in the sky and then grave of the fireflies is next oh man i want to watch that movie still yeah from what i've heard that is will just rip your heart to shreds like and (laughs) potentially your mind as well i don't know the like the depths of despair that you'll feel but i feel like uh mike you would love this yes
1: (laughs) i'm not even offended that you pegged me as the heartbreaker
0: we'll definitely do that on this podcast at some point because i actually brought that one up as a potential animated film we were considering and last then,
2: year. And then right after Grave of the Fireflies is My Neighbor Totoro, which, from what I've seen, is the complete opposite of the Grave of the Fireflies. So, like, this, like, um, Castle in the Sky was, like, quite heartwarming. And then he crushes you with his next one and then uplifts you with the one after that.
1: It's funny. Um, I mentioned I'm talking to a girl who's a huge Ghibli fan. We were talking about Ghibli movies, and I she mentioned my, my neighbor Totoro. And I said, oh, that's with like the big blue monster. <laughs> right. And she was like, don't call him a monster.
0: <laughs> well, that's actually the mascot. Mascot, of,
2: Yeah. Yeah. Princess Mononaki is apparently the best one for adults to like get into.
0: Yes. That I read that as well. So in terms of legacy of this film, there's some really cool direct connections to this film. The first being Toy Story. This movie had a direct influence on the animation style of Toy Story, which is really cool as a Western audience, as a kid who grew up in the 90s. Toy Story is probably top three favorite animated films of all time for me personally. Like, it's what kicked off Pixar, right? Like, to know that this film significantly influenced that and Pixar itself is is really cool and special to me the other direct connections that come a little bit later on is first of all the video game minecraft actually has robots right. that will give flowers to villagers in there which is the your really? to this but even bigger than that avengers age of ultron actually has a pays tribute to this in that the robots are Designed to be similar to the robots from Castle in the Tracks. Sky. Yeah, really. Yeah,
1: I don't remember flowers being handed out in that movie, but <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> to be honest, I don't remember much from that movie.
2: Have you guys ever seen the another animated film called Treasure Planet? Yes. Yes. That one uh, obvious references there, just with the yeah. um like the ship styling and everything.
0: This is essentially like a an adventure treasure hunter film like it it falls into the same genre as like Indiana Jones and Tomb Raider and and stuff like that right like it's very similar and even like Uncharted of recent right yeah and and those are all very powerful IPs that that have really come to be important to people's lives over the years That's a great point yeah And on that note I think it's time to talk our personal reviews and the partner factors does anybody want to start? Mike, you're actually, this is your first time with a Studio Ghibli film. So let's start with your thoughts.
1: Well, let's see. I did watch this with a partner, specifically my heterosexual life partner, <coughs> my roommate, Peddin. And what's funny is that I'll usually have the movies on in the living room and he'll kind of just wander in and out mm-hmm. of the room, right? But. This is the first movie I've watched in a while where like his ass was glued to his seat. Like he watched the whole thing and actually he liked it a lot more than I did. And that kind of betrays my opinion. Like I liked it a lot. I don't think I loved it. I don't think I'll revisit it anytime soon, but my partner really liked it.
0: So on that note, then, do you think that you'll go and visit any other Studio Ghibli films in the future and even in the near future?
1: I think I will. With everything I just said, I think, like, my appetite has woken up. Like, I wouldn't mind seeing some of their other movies. Would you
2: be more interested in, like, the more adult-themed ones then? Or is it another factor that you're, um... You're, like, Probably, if, you
1: know... like... Blake, you and I were talking about The Whale and how you didn't like it because you thought it was basically depression porn. Yeah. And I said, I'm okay with depression porn, so I might jump right into Grave of the Fireflies next.
2: (laughs) You're a brave man. (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) Jason, what about you? What are your thoughts? I overall really liked it. It might fit into the top 100. I don't know, but... I really liked it. I did feel that the progression of the film, because it starts off so high and it kind of stays there, it was like a very slight incline throughout the whole watching experience. And then like small, Mm -hmm. like short, really high blips where like the odd just kicks in. But you're always in this, like this state of slightly, um, it's rising slightly. Yeah. So uh, it didn't feel like there was like highs and lows as much. It felt all the same, and I think that would be the only thing that I would say like didn't work so well for me. But um, overall, I really enjoyed it, and especially the world building, the um, like the style, the way they translated that awe was really well done. My partner factor Annabelle didn't watch this one. She's seen one or two other Studio Ghibli films and uh she's just not into them and i don't think this one would have been one that she would have been like super excited about because it wasn't as drastic so maybe she would be into um princess mononoke but this one like she just sat out
0: question for you then just thinking about what you said what if the opener was more Pazu's opener and we see everything that happens pre-opening credits as a flashback as Shida explains how she ended up at Pazu's factory, basically. Like would that maybe change things and keep things like smaller and, and let the world build more naturally that way or. No, I don't
2: think so, but I don't think now I'm like kind of taking my point back because, well, no, you, you always stay in this one state throughout the movie. And it's like a state of excitement because it's like, as soon as they uh, like wake up in the next morning after he's uh, brought her home and everything, the pirates show up and then the army shows up and like, it just keeps going at the same pace. It's like a breakneck pace that right. um, I don't know if there's something lost or what, you know what I'm almost
0: going to compare this to is like Lord of the Rings, the film series, like where we start is with the Shire, right? And it feels like this like very small, homely world. And, and as we go, like things build and, and the impact of the decisions of the characters builds and becomes like more weighted, right? Whereas kind of like you said, like we hit the ground running in this one, almost more like Mad Max Fury Road and the pace and the action just continues on throughout and and so, for example, like, when Shida and Pazu are with the pirates and they're flying over their home, like Pazu's home, and, and there's a sense of, like, we're leaving this home forever, potentially. Yeah. I knew in my in my heart that I was supposed to feel this sense of sadness, almost, to be leaving this home forever, but to me like because of how big the world already was like i i didn't i didn't almost have that connection quite to yeah. this little home
2: yeah anymore. like there's something huh. small that's missing there and because everything's so big i'm not sure how to fully describe it either but that kind of sums up like a part of it for Jess and i
0: we both really liked it a lot i think out of every one of us, all of us here, I think I'm probably the highest on this film. I, I genuinely really, really fell in love with this film and the aesthetic of the film, this, the world building. Everything about this is kind of just Disney storytelling yep. for me. Like this is one that I'm going to return to. I will probably show my nephew and or my soon to be other nephew or niece at some point in the future. Like this is, this is a movie that... I'm really excited to show people that are special to me at some point in the future that, which is huh. really a cool film. Like this is going to be one of those first ones that I can show off. Right. That maybe their parents aren't necessarily going to watch because it's a Japanese anime film, but you know, uncle Blake's going to have all the cool <laughs> film recommendations yeah, yeah, at yeah, his yeah. place. Yeah, right. For sure.
2: I, I like that. Yeah. I think I might be just like a little bit below you. Cause I, I really do enjoy this movie and, like i just my favorite thing is the use of silence in this mm-hmm. it, it works so well
0: and you know what it's going to be really great when you're watching it with someone someday and you'll go look at that silence listen to the silence yeah. do you hear yeah. the silence right yeah. now <laughs> <laughs> but no listen like you to did that silence. silence yeah but you did say that actually earlier that this is a movie that you want to show yeah. to people yeah. and and that fits into a special kind of place in in your heart right like that that's a special kind of rating to give a movie is is one that you want to share with people and experience with somebody else
2: yeah but there's so many of those though
0: (laughs) yeah but even like this year like you know i i talk up god the godfather to people who haven't seen it and people that i know who haven't seen it all the time because it's special but this is a different kind of special this is a nostalgic kind of special almost yeah yeah hey
1: I have an idea. We should start a podcast where we talk about movies that we like (laughs) and we could share it with lots of different people. Yeah. (laughs) You guys see what I did there?
0: A podcast for old movies for new viewers is what you're thinking? Yeah. Cool.
1: (laughs) We could call it Old Cinema Rewind. (laughs) Neat.
0: Neat. That being said, I think that is it for this episode, more or less, unless anybody has anything else they wanted to talk about from Castle in the Sky
2: or Studio Ghibli. I definitely recommend this. That's all I can say. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That's where I
1: feel like out of the three of us, I'm the least high on it, but I would still highly recommend
0: it. Well, you almost said essentially, too, that you think this is a movie for everyone. Yeah, I did say that and and so even though you're not in love with it like i imagine you still stand by that too
1: yes i stand by everything i ramble out of my
2: mouth (laughs) and that might be uh kind of what i was saying like there's something missing where like it is for everyone so that means it's of course good but maybe not like great it it's not like on a mount rushmore of like four top films of its genre or something like that but it, it's definitely up there
0: and it's a pioneer in the steampunk genre but it's not necessarily the highest rated studio ghibli film of all time and we're going to definitely explore more studio ghibli films on this podcast i think we're all pretty amazed with their storytelling process
1: yeah absolutely
0: And so to kind of leave things off, uh, next plan for the episode is to do an action-adventure film for the tail end of April here. We haven't actually talked about what we're going to do next, so if you have any recommendations, leave them in the comments. We're going to have to talk about that separate, and if we're going to do another three-person episode together, because it's always a lot of fun having all three of us on. That's right. Let's do four next time. <laughs> Let's invite Kelvin on to just yeah. be bewildered by something. <laughs> yeah. Or amazed by something. Show yeah. him something yeah. that'll blow yeah. his mind. Kelvin will have
1: no idea what we're talking about.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that is it for the episode. So until next time. Signing off. Signing off. Don't get your pigtails shut off. Nani. Fuck, I did it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Nanny? <laughs> Nani?